Amen. It is all about furthering His kingdom, isn't it? God is good. So, um, if you were here last week, you'll know that I invited myself back for this week. So, and why, how many of you were here last week? Anybody? I kept saying that. I kept saying, you know, next week if he lets me teach, next week if he lets me teach. And he leaned over to my friend Lori that was sitting on the front row with us, and he goes, I'm not going to be here, so I don't care what she does. <laughs> so, see, I got to invite myself back. But um, we talked last week about what do you have in your hand and how God uses those things that we have in our hand to perform miracles, not just for us, but for other people. And it, got, it was stirring up in me even while I was preaching last week to kind of go back and revisit something that I taught at the ladies' retreat. Yeah, and it was, I taught on relentless and limitless. And so I really want to look tonight at the one that we we talked about, limitless. So I want you to all do something with me. Are you ready? Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine that money is no object for you anymore. That you are richer than Bill Gates and you have a limitless supply of money. So I want you to picture what your house would look like. I would just have rooms big enough to have a skating rink, I think. (laughs) My house is really small. So picture what your house would look like. Picture what your vacations would look like if you had a limitless money supply. Now we'll get all spiritual. Picture what your giving would look like. How cool would it be to be able to give that much money? I just think that would be so exciting to have a limitless money supply and to be able to just write checks and do all kinds of amazing things and support every work for the kingdom of God. So, okay, open your eyes and look at me. So how fun was that? (laughs) The, The reality is that we live in a realm of limits, don't we? Our checkbooks have limits. (laughs) Our, um, bodies have limits. We can't stay awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and survive and function and be healthy. I tried at the ladies' retreat to do that. (laughs) I actually had to stay up late, and uh, I only got two and a half hours of sleep. And to be honest, it wasn't until last Sunday, just like three days ago, that I finally caught up (laughs) from only getting two and a half hours of sleep. Now, when I was in college, I could pull an all-nighter and be completely fine the next day. But the older that you get, (laughs) I'm not 18 anymore. I'm not 28. I'm not even 38 anymore. I'm closer to 48 now. And, um, but the body doesn't do the same things. We have limits. But we serve a God who is limitless. But because we live in a realm of limits, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around what limitless really looks like. And so what I want to do tonight is I just want to hop, skip, and jump through some um, sections of Scripture in the Bible and kind of expand our thinking a little bit to imagine the limitlessness, limitlessness of what God can do. And actually, this started with... Um, a couple quotes. How, how many of you have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Yeah. I was reading, Vicki really likes him. <laughs> I was reading one of his books one day and I, I ran across a couple quotes that I really liked. And the first one was, and we cannot enter into the deep things of God until we are free from our own ideas and ways. And don't we want to enter into those deeper places in the heart of God? We were just, some of the ladies and I were here praying today, and that was just my heart cry. Father, open the door to those deeper places into your heart. We have been to some really cool places in God and experienced some really cool presence of God, but there is so much more. And we cannot enter into the deep things of God until we are free from our own ideas, our own ways, our own limited thinking. And another thing he said, he was talking about um, other ministers, not to judge, but he said, there may be a measure of blessing, but God is not first in their lives. We are not judging them, but there is a better way. 
better than our best. It's relying on God's way and God's best. And so we want to get out of our limited mindset, get out of our limited thinking. We want to take those limits off and start thinking and asking and doing some things outside of the realm of limits. We want to start thinking limitlessly. And sometimes we're restrained in it because if we haven't experienced it ourselves, it's hard to imagine it. And um, how many of you know somebody who, if if something's not happening to them, it's not really happening? Right? You can be sick as a dog and the person next to you has zero compassion because if it's not happening to them, it's not happening. And so that kind of can be that limited thinking, right? We haven't experienced it, so it can't happen. We can't imagine how that can be, so it's hard to wrap our mind around that and ask God for something outside of the realm of what we can understand. And so I want to look at these sections of Scripture so that we can expand our mindset a little bit because we're coming upon some days And sometimes in the church and in what's going on in society and what's going on in our nation where he needs a church that's going to be willing to ask some bold things. And we can't do that if we don't know what he can do and what he will do. So we're going to get limitless tonight. Are you ready? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. So we're going to look first at 2 Kings chapter 7. Second Kings, Second Kings, Second Kings, Chapter Seven. <laughs> Elisha replied, "Hear the word of the Lord." And let me give a, a preface here: they're in a time of devastating famine. Like in the chapter before, if you read the end of chapter six, you'll find that these two women come to the king, and the one woman is mad because they made a pact. They were so starved that they made a pact to eat the one woman's son. And then the next day they were going to eat the other woman's son and she went and hid him because she didn't want him to die. And so the woman was mad because they made a pact. We ate my son yesterday. This is how sick, this is how devastating the famine that they were in was. There was no food. There was no provision. And so this is what happened in chapter 7. Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. A seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So let's just say today they're selling for 2,000 shekels, but tomorrow they're going to sell for one. That's how dramatically the prices are going to fall. That's how dramatically the inflation is going to fall. God is saying in one day. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now, he didn't understand how the word of the Lord could come to pass, so he doubted it, right? It's, and then verse 3 says, Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we stay, if we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans, the enemy, and surrender. If they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, we're going to die anyway. So what is it going to hurt? At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused, everyone say, the Lord had caused, the the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. 
Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys in the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they'll surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get into the city. And so what the king is saying here is like, I really doubt that. What happened was they all left the camp, and now they're hiding outside of the camp, and as soon as we get there, they're going to attack us. So they were afraid to go in. And then verse 13 says, One of his officers answered, Have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all these Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happens. So what they're saying is it doesn't matter. Send them. If they go and the Arameans are hiding, they're going to die. They're going to die here. They're going to die there. What does it matter where you die? This is how devastated they were. So they selected two chariots with their horses. They sent them over. Let's skip down. Oh, no, verse 15. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out, plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of the finest flour sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. And I have written in the margin of my Bible, miracle. Right? So what I want us to see here is that the Israelite nation, Israel, went from devastating famine to complete and utter abundance overnight. And God did that. They went from devastating lack and famine, and eating their own children to an overabundance of supply overnight. What can our God do? Right? And we have so conditioned ourselves to stand. We have so conditioned ourselves that we see a need We see a lack in our lives. We have sickness in our bodies. We have something that we need a miracle for. So we're going to pray, but we're just going to set ourselves to stand. Because it's going to take a long time. Which sometimes it does. (laughs) Abraham stood for the promise for 20 years. But sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) And I think sometimes we're so conditioned to wait that we're not even open to God doing something immediately at all. But can he? (laughs) Can God do us suddenly? He absolutely can. But sometimes we look at our checkbook or we look at our empty cupboards or we look at our old car or we look at what we're lacking and because we can't wrap our mind around how God can do it, we just put up with what we're facing. Can I tell you that you will never be able to wrap your mind around what God can do? Ever. And that's okay. You don't have to. What he's looking for is someone who's willing to be bold enough to believe that he can and ask. And I gave this example at the retreat because... um, I woke up on Saturday morning of the retreat. I was feeling fine. Tired. Really tired, but fine. So we went over to breakfast. We ate breakfast, had a cup of coffee, walked back to the house, got my stuff to get ready to do what I needed to do during the breakout sessions. And as soon as I walked out of the door of the retreat house, I had a migraine. Like, not just a headache. It was, it had, like somebody smashed me in the head with a hammer. I was seeing stars. And I said, oh, no, you don't, not today. 
I have too much to get done for God today. In the name of Jesus, headache, you leave now. And guess what? I was ready for a fight. I was like, nope, I'm getting my healing scriptures out, and by his stripes I'm healed, and I'm walking down the the path and quoting my healing scriptures, ready to fight and ready to stand for what the word of God says, and I realized it had already left. (laughs) But I was so conditioned to having to stand. And sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. And he wants a people who's going to believe that when we pray, he can move. And every time we have a healing line up here, I'm like, is today the day when I speak to that cancer? And watch it leave. Because it's coming. It's coming. Those greater doors, that greater glory, the greater miracles and signs and wonders that Jesus talked about, they're coming. And he wants us prepped and ready for it. Because who's he going to use? Yes. Isn't God good? All right, let's skip back a chapter and go to 2 Kings chapter 6. And I really like this chapter too. I promise we're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to start in verse 8. It says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which of us is on the king of Israel's side. Elisha was so accurate in the information that God gave him about the battle plans of the enemy that that king on the enemy's side thought he had a spy. Tell me who is on his side. None of us, my lord, the king said, one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Look out. You can't hide from God. I'm just telling you. He hears what you say no matter where you are. <laughs> There's a verse in Malachi 3.16 that says that those that feared the Lord talked among themselves, basically, and the Lord listened in and heard them and was pleased. And I was like, I wonder how many times he listens in and is not pleased. <laughs> Yowza. He is listening all the time. Amen. And let it be a check on our mouths, Lord Jesus. But um, Elisha was so accurate in what God told him about the enemy's battle plans that the king thought there was a spy among them. So what I want us to see here is, are we praying for our military? I mean, I know you do. (laughs) They have a, a, she has a son-in-law in the military, Adriana's husband. But do you think God can still do this today? Do you think God can still warn people where ISIS is going to be so that they can go around? Do you think God is capable of telling secrets today? Do you think he knows everything there is to know and can do this today? Are we asking him to? Because we didn't know, Right? So we want to get into a limitless frame of mind. How many of you have heard of Reese Howells? A couple people. He was a Bible school kind of dude back in World War I. One? One. World War I. Which one was the Battle of Salerno? Was that World War I? I think so. Anyway, um, So he was also an intercessor, and he stopped his Bible school one day, the instruction and everything that was going on, because God gave him a prayer assignment, and he said, we need to pray. So they got on their knees, and he prayed out in English, prayed out, wrote in his journals everything that happened in that battle. 
And he didn't stop praying until he had the victory in his spirit. And the next day they wrote in the papers everything he had prayed out the night before. God knows what's going to happen. And he is well able to give us unction in prayer, specific things to pray, to rescue and to organize and to orchestrate things. But he uses us. He just needs to know that he has a willing vessel who's going to ask. So every time I start prayer anymore, I start with, Father, give me prayer. (laughs) Father, I'm here to pray. Give me prayer. What do you need me to pray today? Because a lot of times when we sit down to pray, it's about what we need or what our family needs or needs, needs, needs. We're praying out what we see Praying out what's already been established. Praying after the fact. But God knows the end from the beginning. And he wants to reveal his mind to his people so they can speak and declare some things so that some things just don't happen. And he is able to do it. He's just waiting for somebody to ask. Amen? Amen. Are we expanding our limitless... Expanding into the limitless. Let's do it a little more. Isaiah 44. Love this part. Our God is so cool. We're going to start in verse 24 and go over to 45 verse 7. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. And he's going to tell us some things about himself here. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. You know, he didn't need our help. (laughs) He is an amazing God. He chooses to use us, but he doesn't really need our help. Thank God he chooses to use us. Who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of, of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, He carries out the words of his servants. He carries out the words of his servants. Are we giving him any words to carry out? Let's do it. And fulfills the predictions of his messengers. Who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. The towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. And this was after Assyria came in and took them all away. Um, or predicting it. And of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your streams. Verse 28. Who says of Cyrus. Everyone say Cyrus. He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He, Cyrus, will save Jerusalem. Let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. This is what the Lord said to his anointed. Everyone say anointed. Anointed. To Cyrus. He's calling Cyrus his anointed. Whose right hand I take hold of. To subdue nations before him. To strip kings of their armor. To open doors before him. Before Cyrus. So that gates will not be shut. I will go before you. And will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you, Cyrus, the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you, Cyrus, may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of my servant Jacob, Of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, Cyrus, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Who was Cyrus? He was a heathen king. Everyone say heathen. 
He was the king of the people in bondage. He was the king of their land of bondage. He was a heathen. And God called him my anointed. God said, he will do all my pleasure. Now, when we think of these words, do we think of a heathen? When we think of anointing, what do we think of? We think of his power. We think of his glory being put on someone, right? A minister, a person, a child of God. We at least think of somebody who's walking in some level of knowledge of God, some level of relationship with God. Cyrus didn't even acknowledge his name. And God's calling him my anointed. Can God use a heathen ruler? God can use a heathen ruler. And I really feel like, not maybe us, but a lot of people in the church have backed off of their prayers for kings and for all who are in authority because what we see with our eyes doesn't equate to godliness. So how can God use it? And what can God do? And we limit our asking, and we limit our prayers based on what we can see and understand. But God can use a heathen king. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of God, and he'll turn it however he wants to turn it. Cyrus didn't have to let them go and fund the rebuilding of the temple. But God's hand of influence was on Cyrus, And it happened. But you know what happened right before Cyrus released the people? Do you know what happened right before God's hand of influence and influenced him to release the people? Daniel saw where it was written that it was the time for the captivity to end and he set his face to pray. And because Daniel prayed for the will and plan of God to be done, because he prayed what the word said, then it put all of that in motion for God to use Cyrus. Are we praying for our kings and for all who are in authority? We do when it comes to be election time. And we're starting to now, looking at our options, thinking, really? (laughs) These are our options? It's like picking the better of the two evils almost sometimes. But it really doesn't matter because the heart of any king is in the hand of God. And I said this at the retreat and I'm going to say it again. I said it last week too. Culture and society, they can only rule where the church doesn't. Culture can only rule where the church doesn't. And the church rules by releasing their authority in what we declare and in what we pray. Now, whose side are you on? Do you find yourself talking more about what the news says? Or what he said? It's so easy to fall in line with what the news said. It's so easy to say what the newscasters are saying. But this is the final authority. And we said it last week. There's a difference between fact and truth. What the news is saying may be (laughs) factual-ish. You never can tell, right? (laughs) It's fact-ish. But truth will always supersede fact. What God said will always supersede fact even if at times it looks like we're on the losing side. We're not going to end up on the losing side. God always wins. His word always comes to pass. Truth always supersedes fact. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 6. Real quick, I just thought of something. We'll see this real quick. After After the king of Aram, or However you say that, we'll learn in heaven. Um, After he accused somebody of being a spy, in verse 13 he said, Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture them. The report came back, he is in Dothan. 
Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Second Kings chapter 6, I'm sorry. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Asked the servant. So what did he see? He saw fact. He saw an army surrounding them, right? That's a fact. Don't be afraid, verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the fact was that they were surrounded by a natural army. But the truth was that there were more of God's army present than the enemy's army. And truth will always supersede fact. So the end of the story was that Elisha saw them all there, and he said, Father, make them all blind. (laughs) God, make them blind. And he did. And so he told them, these are not the droids you're looking for. No. (laughs) I just Star Wars, yeah, I did it. No, he told them, you know, this isn't the right place. You're in the wrong place. Let me take you where you need to go. And he led the blind troops of the enemy straight into their camp. And they captured them as prisoners of war. How cool is God? But truth will always supersede fact. Faith does not deny facts. Faith doesn't look at cancer in the body and say, I'm not sick. Faith looks at the cancer in the body that says, he's greater. And I might have this in my body, but it can't stay because of the price that he paid for me on the cross. Right? Truth supersedes fact. Are we thinking limitless tonight? So are we going to start praying? We're going to start praying more for kings, for all who are in authority, for those heathen kings to have their hearts moved by the hand of God. You know, God can use so many different things to orchestrate whatever he wants to orchestrate in this earth. He can use dreams. He can use visions. I used to work for a woman by the name of Patsy Caminetti, and they had a Bible school in Italy, and she told me this story one time, so cool, about this woman who was in her Uh, Bible school whose husband wasn't saved. And not only was he not saved, he was anti-God. He didn't even let them mention the name of God in the home. If they even started to talk about the Bible or mention the name of God or pray over their meal or whatever in their home, he got up and left the house. Anti-God. Wanted nothing to do with him. So for years she prayed for him. For years she prayed for him. God, open up his eyes. Open up his heart. Make him hungry for you. Reveal yourself to him. Years without seeing any change. No softening. No change. So one night, in the middle of the night, they're sleeping in bed, and he woke up, woke her up and said, tell me about God. You need to tell me about God right now. And so after she (laughs) came to a little bit, he got saved. He gave his heart to God. His whole life turned around like that, but not like that, but like that, right? Because his heart was in the hand of God because his wife was praying. I want to know what that dream was. That's what I want to (laughs) know. What did God show him while he was sleeping? But God can do anything. He can use anything. So let's not limit him in our asking. We can look at our administration and think, what in the world can God do here? We can look at the debt in our nation. How many of you could even start to figure out a plan to get out of that one? But he can. He can. Are we asking him? Or do we just look at it and throw up our hands and say, oh, well, it is what it is. Culture only rules where the church does not. So let's take a stand and let's start to rule. Um, Acts chapter 9. Oh, we have time. Acts chapter 9. We're going to think limitlessly. 
And this is about a man named Saul. I'm starting to do a study on um, identity theft protection. But I was, I was studying when God changes your name. So we're going to teach sometime in the next few months about our identity in him, protecting our identity. But God changed the name of some people in the Bible. And it's pretty cool when he did it, why he did it, what that all looked like. But can I tell you, he didn't change Saul's name. In all the other cases, it said God gave them a new name. You're going to be called this. You're now going to be called this. Saul had two names. He just did. <laughs> he had a Hebrew name and he had a Roman name. That's why sometimes he's called Saul and sometimes he's called Paul. But right now here, he's called Saul. Chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Say, Paul was ISIS. Mm-hmm. How many of you ever have thought of Paul as being part of ISIS before? <laughs> Paul would have been part of ISIS. Murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was there when Stephen was stoned. Condoning it, loving it, in agreement with it, helping with it. Paul killed Christians. <clears throat> killed them. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. He was pretty smart. He didn't know who he was, but he knew he was Lord. <laughs> Whoever you are, you are Lord. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. I wonder how many of them got saved. <laughs> how many of them called him Lord? Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Is that the same Ananias as Ananias and Sapphira? Does anybody know? Different one? Okay, good. That makes me a little happier. Because um, he was such a good guy. Uh, in a vision, the Lord called to him, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. How cool is that? How would you like to be praying and see someone in a vision come and lay hands on you? Or hear a vision from the Lord, or see a vision from the Lord. Not as common today, but guess what? God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. They expected to hear something from God. They expected to see something in God. Not everybody did, but how cool would that be? Anyway, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, uh, no way. That's not happening. I don't think so. Do you know who you're talking about? Before we get on to the limitless point here, I want to make an observation of something that we need to do. Is that we need to start seeing people after the Spirit. And we need to start seeing people the way that God sees them. Especially with the ones that are close to us, it's very hard to do. It's very hard to look at someone and see what God sees in them. We see them after the flesh. We see all of their faults. We see all of the things that annoy. We see all of the things that drive us crazy. And especially if they weren't born again and then get born again, it's so easy to remember the old. And that's what Ananias was doing. He was like, um, did you miss the part where he was killing Christians? <laughs> did you miss that part, Lord? 
And God's saying, maybe that's who he was, but now he's my chosen vessel, and you need to go lay hands on him. So we want to start seeing people the way that God sees them. Anywho, but the limitless part in this is that there is no limit to who God can save. And there is no limit to how he orchestrates that. Have you ever wanted to give up praying on praying for somebody who it just seemed like their heart was so hard and they were never going to change and they're never going to accept God and look at all the bad things they do and look at all the evil that's going on in their life and look at them and look at them and look at them. But don't give up. Don't give up on them. And it's not even just praying for our loved ones or whatever. We need to be praying for those that are persecuting the church. We're, we're so poised anymore, and I think in large part because of social media, to fight. To fight against the ones that are persecuting the church and to defend. I must defend God's honor. Well, God's big enough to defend his own honor. Thank you very much. We're so poised to fight. (laughs) But he's the one who fights. Right? So maybe instead of engaging with people, we just love them. And how about instead of engaging with them, we just pray for them. I have someone in my life very close to me who is not born again. And it concerns me. (laughs) It does. And they believe something very different than what I believe and what we believe. Very different. And in the beginning, I was telling them everything (laughs) that they needed to hear. And I was praying one day, and the Holy Spirit said, it's not going to come from you, so you can just stop now. You need to love them, and you need to accept them. And I don't accept what they believe, and they know where the differences are. But I love them, and I pray for them, because I know that God's going to send somebody across their paths, and that every time I say, Father, open up your, their eyes of their understanding and flood them with your light, that he does. And if I pray that 20 times a day, then 20 times a day God's going in and opening up the eyes of their understanding. How much do they matter to you? And even the ones that are over in Iraq and Afghanistan killing the Christians, beheading them, Jesus died for them. They're part of the harvest that he died for, that his blood was shed for. And they're so deceived by the enemy that all the more they need our prayers. I was praying one day, God's good. I was praying just Father, I just want to know you. I just want to see you. I just want to be close to you. And he spoke to my heart and he said, do you want to see what I see? I thought, how cool. Maybe I'll like pull back a curtain and I'll get to see the healings over in Africa and all the cool things that you're doing over there. Maybe I'll just play a video of creation or whatever that looked like. How cool will it be to see what he sees? Yeah. I want to see what you see. He said, are you sure you want to see what I see? Because I see everything. I see the kids getting abused, the women getting raped, the ones getting kidnapped. I see all these things, and it breaks my heart. Are you willing to stand in the gap for them? Because sometimes we look at those things and say, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? What could I have done to prevent it? Could I have done anything to prevent these things? Where are you? And he's doing as much as he can do with the prayers that are given up. But he is limited in this realm by his word. He's able to limitlessly do whatever we ask. But guess what? 
We have to ask. And so he wants us to open up the eyes of our understanding, open up our minds and say, God, show me what you want to do today, who you want to rescue. Because you know, if he gets the hearts of those kidnappers, there will be no kidnappings, right? And if he can get a hold of the hearts of the abusers, there will be no abusees. He wants us to think outside of the box on what we dare to ask him for. Are you ready to do it? Psalm 2. Wrapping it up here. God is so cool. Psalm 2 verse 1 says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven sits back and wonders what to do. No. The one enthroned in heaven worries and bites his fingernails. No. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. <laughs> he doesn't laugh in hysteria. Have you ever been like so hysterical you didn't know whether to laugh or cry? That's not what he's doing here. <laughs> he who sits in the heavens laughs. Let's look at Psalm 37, 13. Psalm 37, 13, verse 12. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. Psalm 59, 7 says, verse 6 says, They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp as swords, and they think, who can hear us? But you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all those nations. And you know what he told me? He told me, until you look at those situations and can laugh at them, you're not seeing them the way that I see them. Until we can look at those situations that we're facing, the things in our nation, the things that look like they're winning, until we can look at them like God and laugh them to scorn because we know that their days are coming, then we just aren't quite seeing it the way that he is seeing it yet. And so if you have a situation in your life and it is weighing on you and you can't laugh at it to scorn, then we need to come up and see it a little higher. And a lot of times when we're looking at it and it's inciting fear or it's inciting worry, then it's because we're comparing the size of our problem to our power. But God can laugh at it because he sees the problem compared to his power. And that's where we need to get to. Because you know why? The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is actively at work in your life. And through that power that's at work in your life, he does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Right? Limitless. But we need to know that we can be bold enough to ask, to use that power that's in us. He didn't just put it in us for nothing. So it was a lovely little verse in the Bible. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in me, quickening my mortal body. Isn't that a great memory verse for my kids to learn next week? If there's power in you, it's for a purpose. And he wants that power to come out of you and change the world around you. And that happens with our mouth. Are we going to be bold enough to ask? Are we going to be bold enough to take the limits off? 
Are we going to be bold enough that when we see culture ruling, that we're going to say, oh, no, you don't, because he is Lord. And it's like the song said, and like Barb exhorted us, every knee will bow. One more scripture. 1 Corinthians 2.6. In the voice translation, it says, however, in the presence of mature believers, we do impart true wisdom. Not the phony wisdom typical of this rebellious age or of the hostile powers that rule this age. Despite what you may think, these ruling spirits are losing their grip on this world. Another translation said that they're coming to nothing. So we're looking at them, and you know what? Our, Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities, powers, mights, and dominion. You know what the Bible says about them? They're coming to nothing. So they may be looking all powerful and mighty, but he is greater. And he is able. And he has already defeated him and made a show of them. And so we have to take the authority that he gave us and occupy in the victory that he established. Do we have to fight the devil? No. Jesus soundly defeated him. But we have to take our stand and occupy that victory until Jesus comes back again. Amen? Amen. So we need to start seeing it the way that he sees it. We need to start seeing it that those spirits are coming to nothing. That despite what we may think, they're losing their grip. The end is near. Jesus is coming. The enemy's losing, not winning, because the church is going to rule and reign. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's just shout for just a second at the greatness of God, the limitlessness of God. We believe you are able. We believe what your word says. And we will declare your victory and your power and your authority in this earth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Ha ha. Hallelujah. Greater. 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 He is so much greater. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the greater one who lives in us, that you are greater and higher and stronger and mightier than anything we face in this earth. Now I pray as we leave tonight that you would take these words and these thoughts that you've put in my heart and cause it to go home with us, break it apart to us, cause it to explode on the inside of us that there is no limit to what you can do, to what you will do when we ask in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, we're so thankful for your word. Hallelujah. Was God good? Are you going to ask limitless questions and limitless things of God? Amen. Amen. Well, you're dismissed. Have a great night, and we'll see you on Sunday.